everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not co-hosting this podcast with my lovely partner, Peter, I am probably writing about training, nutrition, and racing, or hopefully I'm outside doing one of those things. And I am Peter, the lovely partner, kinesiologist, and endurance coach. And you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk about and talk to... I don't know if I can make that into a cohesive sentence, but to people who move really well uh, or in a variety of ways and the people who sort of specialize or coach or study uh, those movements. And what we hope to do is sort of pull out different routines or inspire new movements that we can incorporate into our consummate athlete lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had a lot of really cool guests on. We have a lot of great ones kind of coming your way in the next few weeks. I think uh, the Rebecca Roosh one that we had on a couple weeks ago is might be one of our top ones that we've ever had. Oh, I have I heard so, yeah. I've heard so many people talking about it. She just gave so much valuable wisdom from, you know, both a straight up training for gravel and like what tires to choose practical standpoint to the much more like sports psychology related, you know, self-talk and motivation and, you know, knowing your why and knowing your your core values. So it's I mean that episode I've gone back and listened to it. It's made me do a ton of thinking and I'm definitely thinking about my new sport now that I'm thirty five and what oh my boy. What I can be uh, world class at? Uh, yeah, like this Rebecca. might be this might be the one thing I am a little ticked at Rebecca for, but it's not her fault. That's just <laughs> Peter's midlife crisis acting up. Yeah, I don't know what my sport is, but something. <laughs> Long anyway. distance meandering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What have you been up to this week, Peter? Well, I raced a road race. Racing's probably a little bold or a little. What does that be? Generous. It's a little generous, but I, I there was a local race here, a Fondo even. Uh, so I went into that. I uh, got a little outgunned on my cyclocross bike, but uh, it was a really good workout and got me out longer than, you know, a couple hours. I'm Once it gets over three, I find it really hard now. So got in a bit of volume, which is really good for what's sort of upcoming as far as races and training. Uh, yeah. How about you? Well, the same day you had the Fondo, I had the Fast and Female event over at Hardwood Ski and That's Bike. Right. Lots of, how many did you have? 60. 60. 60 young ladies yeah, excited I, about moving in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Fast and Female Champ Chats are super fun. It's a lot of local pro racers from all different sports. So the Fast and Female Ambassadors included, you know, pro cross-country mountain bikers and skiers and volleyball players and track racers, just tons of really cool women. Uh, and then the girls, there were 60 girls from 8 to 14 years old. Uh, so it was a really packed day. I was there with all Shred Girl stuff. I got to talk a little bit about the book. I met a few readers who uh, read the book in the first day it came out and were pretty excited about it. I had a lot of good discussions about sport and also what superpower I would want. Uh, I went with flying and then we discussed how that would work really well for bike riding because you would never have to worry about crashing or not nailing a jump or something because you could just, you know, whoosh your way out of it. I suppose unless you crashed while flying. I mean, that's not part of the superpower. Right. Yeah. You yoga'd and you had to set up a scavenger hunt or an obstacle course or something? Uh, I actually didn't end up having to oh, do the okay. obstacle course, but a lot of, uh, yeah, the obstacle course was one of the highlights of the day for a lot of the girls. I, yeah, ran a, ran a yoga session and that was super fun. So yeah, really great inspirational day. Uh, something I wish had been around when I was a kid, but if you're... If you have kids and you're in Canada, and they do some in North America, it's starting to pick up. Definitely check out Fast and Female for, 
you know, what they're up to. And of course, uh, you know, Shred Girls still out. Actually, uh, it would be super helpful if you have the book, if you've read it, or if your kid has read it, uh, head over to Amazon and leave a rating or review. That would be amazing and, you know, helps get it in front of girls who aren't really sporty. Um, That was actually the cool part about the Fast and Female event. One of the girls I met who'd read it, not a cyclist at all, but, you know, begged her parents for a bike after reading it. So that's, you know, kind of what it's all about for me. So that was really exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, just uh, just running a bunch, uh, a lot more trails now that it's finally dried up and it's summer again. Uh, so that's been that's been fun. And I will say, shout out uh, Peter got me some Tracksmith running gear for my birthday, and I'm obsessed with it. It's like the comfiest stuff I've ever worn. So highly recommend if anyone's looking for some new running kit. My dad stylish has- and comfortable my dad started perusing the website after uh after i opened my presents and he saw <laughs> so if dave herford's wearing it you know it's so. cool yeah uh anyway time for another q a episode yes. thank you to everyone for their questions some good <laughs> ones yeah so this first one is kind of a, one that's near and dear to my heart i think do you want me to read it to you no oh, okay. I'll, I'll read it uh, this person is asking about hand tingling and numbness issues on the cyclocross bike, but not on the touring bike. Um, so this one's near and dear to my heart because it is very much related to a lot of the, or it could be very much related to a lot of the same things I talk about in my book, Saddle Sore, that's all about riding comfortable and riding happy. There is a big section on bike fit. Um, and in that, you know, there's kind of the the first important reminder that even though two bikes might be similarly sized, you know, a 48 centimeter frame for your cross bike and for your touring bike, in in my case, uh, the geometries could be, you know, quite different. And, you know, the way you would set up the bike could be very different, especially, you know, if you're racing cyclocross, that's very different than if you're out for a really lengthy touring day. Um, So I think... You know, to me, this question is kind of all about bike fit. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the thing that comes to mind is like most touring bikes are going to have handlebars above the level of the seat. Uh, so it's going to take a lot of pressure off the hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I mean, or just going to be more upright for sure. Um, the other thing to watch would be like the cyclocross bike, maybe the nose of the saddles tip down. So if you're like sliding forward onto your hands a bit more too. Uh, and then conversely, you know, the other way you could come at this is, I guess, or the way you could solve that sort of difference is you, maybe your cyclocross bikes were set up a bit too much like a road bike. Uh, a lot of times you might have the, the bars actually higher. So maybe level with the saddle or just a, a bit before there'll be a lot of variation, but again, we don't want your hands going numb either. Um, cyclocross bikes are weird, right? Cause it's, they're not really overly comfortable um, no. and they're designed for short term riding so if you're doing a lot of volume training like i do on my cyclocross bike i ride it almost you know like my road and gravel bike too um so it's just being cognizant that like maybe your race setup might need to be changed or it's not quite the same as your like base season you know everyone's in cyclocross base now uh you know it might not be the 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 exact same right 
Yeah, definitely. And I think also like similar to, you know, what we often are saying about standing up on the bike mm-hmm. to get sure. a little bit of uh, blood flow back into your nether regions. I think the same applies for hands. Like it's totally okay to move your hands a little bit. It's pretty expected. Well, you got so. three spots to put them on a cyclocross bike too. Yeah, that's true. A lot of people get stuck and that's in my cyclocross course, which will be re sort of launching and stuff with on the Ryan Leach website uh, for cyclocross dismounts. Yeah, a big part of that is learning the three positions and getting used to the three hand positions, right? So you sort of have your mountain bike-ish tops position, the hoods, and then the drops. And a lot of times in cyclocross, everyone just like grabs the hoods and never lets go. Uh, But you definitely want to use all of them. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, make sure you're switching between those, you know, give your hand a little shake every once in a while. And I guess that would be one more thing would be that would be an argument to raise the bars Mm because you could use the drops. Yeah, for to get sure. lower, right? So sometimes you like bump up, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, 10 centimeters or whatever, half an inch. But you, then you could actually use the drops and be half an inch or more below your normal, right? Mm-hmm. So you were saying shake out hands. Yeah, shake out your hands. And I mean, another thing that might kind of just indicate you're having like a bit of a fit issue is um, I always look at the bend of my wrist. I mean, you don't want your hand like you don't want your hand to be straight. I mean, if you could see me, I'm straightening out Neutral. my hand. Yeah. Um, but you also don't want it to be like 90 degrees super bent. And that definitely tends to happen on cyclocross bikes. I think it's very easy to have yeah. your hand tilted back or like if you're holding the tops, if maybe. you're holding the tops or if you're I, I actually have had it with hoods because cyclocross brakes can also be a little funky. Um, just something to think about, like look at how your hands are positioned on the bike, like what angle they're at, because if you have them, you know, super bent. You, you're restricting your blood flow. Sure. Then. Hood position might relate yeah. there too. Like some people, you don't have that nice flat platform on the top. Um, and so if your brakes, which can move independent of your handlebar, which isn't always obvious because of the bar tape, um, they might be too low or too high. So then you might have this like almost like a valley, right? Like a big dip before your the rubber for your hood starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that might be a thing. And then the bar tape would be another one. Maybe your bar tape's really thin or not as padded as maybe you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So yeah, those are a couple of good suggestions. Definitely let us know what ends up happening with that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm very curious now. Um, all right. Next one. Um, food for when it's hot on the bike that won't melt that you can travel with that aren't gels and chews. This um, is like a, I don't know what, some sort of skill testing question. It's like Nancy is Carol's sister, but Carol... Yeah, you know, yeah, lives in Washington, of, but you know, yeah, her sister doesn't live, and the train is coming at thirty-five miles an hour <laughs> in opposite directions. Uh, when what will color they is the cat? Oh God. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, and this also leads into the next question of just how to change your food and drink as temperatures rise during the summer. Mm. Um, so, for me during the summer, the couple foods that came to mind are actually like of the Newton variety. Um, that aren't gels and chews definitely uh i go for like the fig newtons because with the uh with the more um flour based round crust crust sure um i find that they don't really end up getting melty even when the fig gets a little bit soft it's still kind of within the crumble part so it doesn't get super gross uh the more like racy version of that and obviously a little bit tastier in my opinion would be the cliff bar nut filled or nut butter filled ones right 
Um, again, just because they have more of a shell to them, and then they like mm. they're actually amazing in the heat because when the like hazelnut chocolate inside gets a little soft because it's hot, they taste super good, but it never gets really melty. That's what we did for, or that's what I did for Iron Man, and you know, despite the fact that it was ninety degrees out and they were in my back pocket, they didn't really get excessively gross or anything. They travel really well too, so. Those are definitely my personal favorites. So let's review the confines here. Uh, food for when it's hot on the bike that won't melt, that isn't a gel or a chew. So we're not necessarily racing though. No. Okay. Yeah. I, I think any of the bars are most bars, right? See, like, I don't not know. Not chocolate like, covered bars, but like you could have a cliff bar sure. or a picky bar would mm-hmm. be great. I really like picky bars. Um, Laura bars would be okay. Bananas would be a common thing that people eat. Yeah, bananas can get a little gross in the heat. But and then also has to travel well, though. Yeah, so bananas, bananas sort of fall. You could get a banana cover. One of those plastic banana Ooh, yeah. covers. Yeah. What else do we do? Oh, I mean, just you could make rice bars. You could make oat granola bars. You could make... What else do people make? We've made macaroons before. I've seen people do like pancakes and then just sort of bring pancakes with them. Yeah. And I mean, as long as it's not like a super lengthy ride, you're not really going to run into much of like a danger zone in terms of like food safety, uh, unless you have like a ham sandwich, but I wouldn't really recommend a ham sandwich in heat anyway. Peanut butter and jam and stuff. Um, Yeah. So I think, yeah. But no gels or chews. No gels or chews. Yeah. Yeah. and I will say, I, I did a story on this a couple of years ago, and what the general expert conclusion was, was while the um, the viscosity of the gels and the chews might change when it gets hot, gels get a little runnier, chews can kind of melt together. Um, it's not dangerous at all. Like, you're not in any kind of, like, trouble with it right. as a rule, so... Yeah, yeah, I've never had problems in like mountain bike like, races or anything. Don't stress on if they got hot in the car or anything. If they've been sitting out for like days, you gotta and watch. definitely check your expiration Yeah, dates. I mean, you don't want to leave stuff in the cars or whatever, but uh, yeah, if it's boiling maybe. But I mean, if it's boiling, you're probably good. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, so this also leads into the how to change your food and drink as temperatures rise. And this to me is something I, I've been coming up with this week, actually, as it's finally gotten hot out. And, you know, I was out on my long run and in the spring, I'm all about the uh, goo has these stroop waffles and I was really into them for a while. During the winter, I was very into Snickers bars on the bike. Um, they do not travel well when it gets hot. Pro tip. <laughs> Skip the Snickers bar. But anyway, you know, I'm out last week and it's finally warm out and I realized I was so not hungry for a waffle. Um, So the heat will change your appetite a fair bit for, you know, some people, most people, I'm going to argue. So, you know, for me instead, now I'm switching back to using more tailwind and I'm actually going to ice my pack for my long run on Wednesday. So I'll throw a few ice cubes in with my water and tailwind. And for me, that's going to be a lot easier. So just remember, you know, what tasted great during the spring might be a little bit tough to handle as it gets hotter out. Mm -hmm. You'll see two things. Like I prefer to separate my water and my food slash gel. So in a, you know, intense 90 minute mountain bike race, I'll have gels and then I'll have water. And I really like the water separated because then I can douse myself. But when it's hotter, 
I'll drink way more. But if it's not super hot or the race is super hectic and it's only a 90 minute race, right? So like hydration is not absolutely critical for, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a 200 mile race. So if I don't drink a ton, you know, I can still eat as much as I need to and sort of hydrate sort of separately, right? There's sort of that variation in how much you're drinking. So that would be an argument once it gets hot and you also find people find that it gets like pasty if you have like really thick mix in your bottles. So a lot of people will separate once it gets hotter. So again, so you have that straight water to sort of rinse your mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you have two bottles or two sources of water, like a pack and a bottle, then you maybe have one that's like a light mix Um, because sometimes that lemon and a little bit of sugar a little bit of salt like something like a scratch or an osmo some of those lighter carbohydrate uh, mixes can be really nice like that lemon will actually maybe help you drink so some people find that really helpful but if it's really really thickly mixed like if you're a gatorade person oh yeah i mean you may find that that gets a little overwhelming especially if it's all you have is mixed there's a lot of people end up in races with only mix and they're like you know, bagging water off of people on the side of the road or something. Yeah. Right? I mean, I will say like tailwind I found is really light and nice for how high calorie it is. So I really enjoy that, but definitely. Yeah. Gatorade would disgust me. I like your summer. frozen idea. I've definitely done that. Like you could freeze even your food, right? I don't know if you freeze a Snickers yeah. bar and how long that would last, but you could definitely try that. That one is like a chip tooth waiting to happen, unfortunately, but eh, I think if you waited a couple hours, you'd be okay. So we have a, we do have an episode coming up soon with, Dr. Stacy Sims, where we talk more about heat, uh, heat stuff, but really the couple main tips from her are, you know, actually the dousing yourself and just trying to cool down your skin, uh, not with ice. Like her one big thing is like, don't put ice directly on your skin because that actually makes your blood vessels constrict. Um, so it actually makes things worse in a lot of ways. It's also just kind of bad for your skin, to be honest. Um, and so, yeah, staying as like doused as possible and drinking cooler water. And, you know, this might be the time where if you haven't been putting any electrolytes in your bottles, it's probably time to start because the more you're sweating, the more electrolyte loss. So the cold drinks are definitely big to get the like fuel inside. Yeah. Cold or, drinks. Sorry, the, the coldness inside your body, too. Yeah. Uh, Jeff talked about that in his sort of gravel stage racing strategies. I've actually and- found the couple hot races I've done. It's weird, but actually holding the liquid in your mouth for a couple extra seconds sounds kind of gross. And it's hard to do if you're like panting and having a really hard time. But if you're in more of a distance kind of race, like a gravel grinder or in my case, an ultra run where you're not breathing super heavily the whole time, I found like just holding cold water in my mouth for an extra couple seconds really made me feel a lot cooler. I don't know. I'm thinking about this. I don't think that my, like my bar sandwich strategy really changes a lot as it gets hotter. I don't think it's that it changes for everyone. Certainly like in an endurance ride type situation, you know, and, and my races, it sort of more depends on the race. Yeah, I don't think th- yeah. I don't think it's an everyone thing. I'm just saying, like, don't be surprised if something that you really liked back in March is suddenly not super the melting. Appealing. I guess the melting would be like I wouldn't do like a if a bar was chocolate covered or like you say a Snickers. Like you, you maybe buy your Snickers at the corner store or something yeah. instead of carrying it with. Something um, about like really heavy carbs in the summer just does not appeal to me. Like the more like bready waffle type things, but you don't really ever do no, that kind of thing. No. So you just wouldn't really have that same like differentiation, I guess. 
Yeah, I don't know. Don't know if we have much more. Careful with your chocolate covered, unless you're into really gooey chocolate, and then it's actually not so bad. Ah, uh, that's just a mess. I mean, I had a, it wasn't that warm, but I had a Snickers bar at the road race on the weekend. Love um, a good Snickers. Wait, did you take one of my Snickers bars? We yeah, might have to talk. The yeah, it was a little, little, too liquefied, and that was at around fifteen degrees, fifteen to seventeen Canadian. And what is that in American? 60, 65? Yeah, it's, it wasn't that hot on Saturday, but like it doesn't take much to get a Snickers bar to start melting pretty good. Well, I guess it gets against the body too. Anyhow, that's enough. On. Okay. Next question, also about fueling. Fueling for training at night. So we're talking about those people who are training after dinner, possibly even a couple hours after dinner, after the kids are put down. You know, you're hopping on the trainer. You're going to like the late night yoga class. I thought this was a good one. This one came from a phone consult I did just actually today. Um, You can book a phone consult if you'd like. It's at smartathlete.ca. Smoothly done there, dear. Thank you. And yeah, so this this client trains at night sort of after the kids go to bed and family's already had dinner, right? So they have dinner sort of 536, say. uh, And then he's training maybe 8, 9 even. Uh, And this is not rare, right? I try and encourage not every night doing this but for some people that's that's life right and that's how you get through sort of different phases of the year um or you know sort of add that extra day maybe um and we're just very careful about sleep and stuff but there is this sort of question of like what do you do with that post-workout window when you're like wanting to get to bed right after right you don't want to have like this large pizza dinner or something mm-hmm so what I usually suggest is what or ask is, well, what are you doing? You've been doing it. Like, how are you sleeping and how are you feeling? How are you recovering? Um, because that's usually a good basis, right? Like most people sort of have what, what, what does, what tastes, what's appealing at that time of day. And then like, did you lay awake all night in bed or not? I think that's a good way without like overcomplicating it. Right. Like, um, but sort of the, where it seems to trend towards is, you know, you get a little bit of carbohydrate, a little bit of fat or sorry, a little bit of protein. So that could be like a, a smoothie. Some people sort of pre blend the smoothie so they don't awake their family. Um, and then that's what they do. Just sort of light, not too much. Uh, and that works. Some people it's like, you know, some yogurt and cereal or something, or like milk and some fruit or something like that, right? Whatever sort of is appealing to you and is convenient and just not too much. Cause we don't want it to like be digesting while you're sleeping a ton right yeah and i think the other thing especially as we get into summer again is going to be getting that cooler food in so it's probably get not down. probably not the night to have soup after your workout um probably want to think more like smoothie. Yeah. maybe you throw a couple ice cubes in your smoothie this time or like you know make your smoothie sure. but then throw it in the freezer during your workout for sort of a slushy slash smoothie type setup just to get that cooling strategy done and then maybe a colder shower mm-hmm. um making sure the room's cool because that's definitely you know there's that that's two sides. what keeps you up right there, there is the like you've had dinner right and you're gonna have breakfast so for most you know people who are working and they're not pro athletes who are going to be up training again at 6 a.m. probably right we, we do have time to recover that recovery window is not overly important um, especially when there's nutrients that have come in from a bunch of meals already right we don't want to get into the situation where we're stacking a bunch of extra calories yeah i think what we should also clarify when we say smoothie you're really only thinking like a couple hundred calories you're not thinking not a lot. like yeah like a lot of people are like a whey protein with some blueberries maybe a banana or something so it's yeah. not it's not super you know and that again that could be if you're a whole milk person do whole milk and you know a banana and some blueberries or something like it's not 
I don't know what else people put in that make it really high calorie. Ah, uh, you get like the peanut butter, the coconut oil, like people dump a lot of crazy stuff in. Well, and that that could be fine, but yeah, that might not be the time for the like super heavy like thousand calories like can of coconut milk smoothie. Yeah, we're not yeah. thinking like a meal smoothie. This is more like a like just yeah. a top up. Careful with those whole yeah. whole cans of coconut milk. Um, and think about how you feel when you wake up in the morning too in yep. addition to like how you're yeah, sleeping. Yeah, I would track it for sure. How you feel in the next workout. Yeah, like are you, you know? waking up and you're starving and like all you can think about is breakfast or are you waking up like oh I could eat but I'm not like desperate. Right. Or even waking up at night I think would be my bigger concern. Oh, like for finding sure. that you're waking at like one or two in the morning and just like really hungry and like really awake and alert then that would be sort of a you got to change something and it might be it could go either way i think in that case right it might be maybe you have to just have a little bit during the workout even would be another option we didn't talk about sort of fueling a bit during the workout and then just nothing mm-hmm. after and maybe that ends up with a better sort of uh whether it's insulin sort of blood sugar response or whether it's just you know too much food for you to go to bed on yeah definitely all comes back to the you know nutrition is super individualized and you know what works for somebody else and what somebody else told you to do you know that they are told you they do might not be sure. what works for you yeah it depends so much the workout how you sort of are wired up yourself and then what your other meals have looked like and, mm-hmm. and whatnot so yeah. go forth Give all it right a try. awesome all right next one um i've noticed my ctl score so that's tr- chronic training load uh, has gone down a bit in the last few weeks. Just wanted to make sure I that I was that the, that's okay and that I'm putting in enough effort and I'm where I should be. Right. So this athlete was is in season. They're racing. Uh, so very normal. And we just had the Hunter Allen podcast there a couple back. So give us like the one sentence. What is chronic training load? Right. Right. So this is sort of taking the time you're riding and the intensity you're riding uh, and sort of putting them together into one sort of number called training stress score TSS. Uh, and then chronic training load is just sort of that a rolling average of sort of what your average day looks like. I try and describe it of like, you know, just sort of your work capacity on a given day. So on average in the last month or two months, what does your average day look like? So that takes into all the zero days when you don't train your off days. Uh, and it takes into account your giant big long weekend ride and your races and all this stuff. Um, so Hunter, when he was on, talked a bit about, um, and I should say that you can think about this if this is just like, oh, wow, extra numbers. Like think about it as just like my hours have gone down this week and I'm racing in the, you know, we're in race weeks of June and July, there's all the big races coming. So your hours have gone down. Right. Um, and, and really that's, that's essentially the question here. Um, so what, this athlete is then seen is that as we taper or peak or just get into race season, we're recovering before the race, recovering after the race, right? So we're not having those big training rides as much. We often miss that big weekend or two big weekend rides that a lot of us are used to doing. Um, so the average is going to drop, right? That just makes sense intuitively. If you're going to be recovered for race day, the average has to drop and then the people that chase the ctl number that's how you get in trouble for sure is you're always out doing your zone two rides trying to get more volume in but you're also then very tired right because the problem with fitness is it's also fatigue i mean i think one of the things here is just like ultimately no number really matters as much as your race result if what you're trying to do is race well exactly great point yeah and with this athlete that was we went back and i was like well how have your races been going great 
personal best, up a category, great. How have your power numbers been looking? And he only has power on the trainer, which is an important thing too. So we'll talk about that. And Hunter talked about this too. Um, but his power numbers on the trainer, he rides a couple times during the week. Um, great. Some PBs in the last week in the sort of recovery week we're in um, with a good race as well. Uh, so that's great, right? And that's the trend we want to see. We don't really care how you got there. Ultimately, like you're there now, hopefully we'll care, you know, eventually when we're trying to repeat it. Um, so that's that. And then the power, the other thing that can happen in season, and again, Hunter talks about this uh, in the podcast with him, but if you're not having power from the same device for every workout, then it's not, it, you got to be very careful putting all your faith in this one magical number. Uh, if you're pulling it from heart rate or you're pulling it from two different devices or indoors and outdoors, it gets tricky, right? So then we have to go back to using our heads and thinking, you know, how many, how are our intervals going? How much, how much are we riding time wise? Yeah. And I think maybe it's also just like every number is not going to go up like all at once. Like yep. there's always going to be some number that's going to tank. And if you're <laughs> well, tanking, it didn't tank it. Leveled, <laughs> okay, not tank. Let's say Sorry. Yeah. That's not the right phrase, but just, you know, if your chronic training load is super high, then like you're, you know how you're feeling on a scale of one to ten in terms of fatigue like your fatigue would probably also be up like you're just no it's very hard to be kind of where all of your numbers are we'll say optimal or peaking well exactly um like if you're if your chronic training load is increasing it means that you're doing like more training than you're used to right so acutely like it would be like if this week you went out and rode twice as much as you usually do in a week every day was longer, double the length, say you had a vacation week, then you're going to see your chronic training load increase a bunch, but your fatigue, which is called ATL, acute training load, it's going to skyrocket, but then your form is going to plummet because it's a mirror image of that. Um, So if you were going to go and race, so you did double the training you're used to and then raced on Sunday. So you trained every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, double what you're used to, and then just jumped into a race. Would you expect to do well? No, right? Like you're not going to produce this like magical peak numbers, right? We'd have to recover. So maybe we could take the next week really easy and train a little less than usual. All those numbers would recover. CTL would sort of plateau, if not decline a bit, but you'd hope to do better in that next week. That would be a really short block in recovery, but you could certainly try something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, next question during weight sessions, as I progress, should I keep reps at 10 and increase the weights or should I focus on doing more reps, uh, with the same amount of weight? And we're talking about in season. So, you know, we're in race season and weight training is, you know, two times a week and probably not super heavy. Right. So yeah. Which, which training stress do you add to there? Yeah. It depends what you're trying to do, right? A lot of people... Or I should say a lot of people, there's sort of, I guess, three different strategies. You know, if we're in an actual race season, then I think we want to be careful and just think sort of, it's good we're in the gym and we go through the motions. Uh, if it's not a race week, then maybe you try and see a little bit of improvement. So improvement could be weights the same. And instead of doing 12 reps, you go for 13 or 14 or 15 or whatever the rep range is usually, right? Your classic is three sets of 10, say, but 10 should mean eight to 12. So if the weight's new and heavier, you maybe do eight. So you aim for three by eight, and then maybe the next week you can push it a bit more reps or 
add a bit of weight or whatever, right? Like you just want to increase something. But you probably don't want to increase both in the same workout. You wouldn't usually, right? Like you might, and again, you might do like a set of 12, a set of 10, a set of eight or something, right? And we're just looking for that form or maybe the speed of the lift to change. And that's sort of how we determine uh, if you're pulling back, but in season, it's to me, it's just like if you're in the gym or you're doing a core routine, it's 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 good. Um, and especially if it's a race week, you want to be careful, like pushing, especially the volume. So a lot of times I'll have people if they're used to doing sort of a three, say three by 10, just for ease. Uh, maybe we pull back and do like two by eight and they get into the gym, they warm up they lift sort of the same loads, but we've dropped the volume down. And this is the exact same discussion we just had with bike stuff, right? We've dropped the volume down, but the intensity generally is kept the same or higher even, right? In your classical peak. So, um, so in this case, I would say, you know, yeah, if you're, if you're in there and this client was sort of like they're pushing the strength, the, the, the races are sort of on and off, then the weeks you can, you know, get in there and, and challenge yourself, go for it. Right. So the one thing that they're going to try is they've been doing like feet or sorry hands actually elevated on a stability ball doing push-ups and that's like really easy now which is great great progress so they're going to now try like just either push-ups on the ground or even putting their feet on the ball which is going to be way harder but drop the reps down so maybe three by six push-ups with feet on the ball right yeah, I like that. Um, I'll also throw in, we have a few different videos for sure. anywhere core, anywhere strength. Um, yeah, a bunch of different routines. So we'll try to link to a couple of those in the show notes if you are kind of thinking about doing strength routine. And actually, maybe that's, let's just back it up. I think we've maybe briefly talked about this, but I mean, strength training in the season, it's still worth doing, right? It really depends, right? Um, sometimes you run into a time crunch and you have to sort of assess where our limitations are. Um, it's tough. I, I, I like to believe that it's it's helpful. You know, a lot of us have life that we have to contend with, right? And so I, I try and make the argument that it's helpful for, for life, if not for cycling. If, if, if anything, it's helping you, you know, you pick up that box or that kid jumps on you, um, you know, and you're absorbing that hopefully so you can get out on your bike and train more. Uh, and that's certainly been my experience. Like it's, we don't have nearly as much bike crashes as we do have like lifestyle based injuries. Uh, so I, I like to think that strength helps. I don't know that we can a hundred percent assure that, but yeah, I, I think for most, you know, busy, active people, it's worthwhile and certainly fits with consummate athlete lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it just, it only has to be 15 minutes a day, like a couple times a week for maintenance. Like it doesn't, it's amazing how little you have to do to make it count. Yeah. And on the Dr. Bub's podcast, we talked a bit too, like, you know, it sort of depends where you're coming from, right? If you've been Olympic weightlifting your whole life, then you're going to have to, you know, to see a benefit or to maintain, it might be a bit more. But if you're someone who's done very little strength training, you know, that everyday core, or, you know, a, a couple times a week after your run or your, your bike or your workout, you do, do 10, 20 minutes of, of core in the house. Maybe then you get, you know, a dumbbell or two and sort of play with it in the house. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't need a gym membership right off the bat. Certainly. I would say I'd rather get you, you get hooked on it and see, you know, maybe some Bobby, body, Bobby, a uh, body composition changes, um, or your buddy Bobby is changing. 
Um, That's weird. Yeah. And yeah. So then, and then hopefully you get hooked, right? Again, if you can see that progression, I couldn't do push ups. Now I can do 10 push ups. Then you're, you're hooked on strength training, right? You've seen that progress that it's, it's hard to see in most other sports that like very obvious, like no push ups, push ups type scenario. I think the urge to go to the gym definitely exists for people partially because, you know, it's, it's more of like an official workout if you go to the gym. But to me, like, yeah, doing, doing your, core your body weight stuff at home makes so much more sense because there's no excuse to not do it well, most think, of the time yes i think for a lot of people that's true i think for the busy people who have kids at home that's maybe less true um you know there isn't always that obvious 10 square or you know 10 minutes where they to have that time um, I try and make that, you know, go and play with the kids because that's going to count as some core. And telling you, know. you, you can bench press your kids till they're like <laughs> well, six or seven years old. Well, it doesn't even have to be that, but you can go to the playground and just be more, uh, you know, squat down and climb up stuff and hang off stuff. Like there's a lot of benefit there's to be had from that movement variety. Goblet squat your four-year-old. Do um, it. But then I think the other thing that I'm, I'm seeing and trying to ask more and more about, a lot of people have access to gym over lunch hour at work or near work or through work. Um, and, and we don't use it. And then it's like, well, would you bet on the athlete who trains exactly the same? You know, we all do our hour workout Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then a couple long workouts on the weekend. Would you bet on the athlete who just does that? Or would you bet on the athlete that also goes to the gym at work two times a week? Who would you bet on to win and be like resilient through the season? Right. This is a coach Clance always, always said that, right? Like, who are you going to bet on the stronger athlete? Or are you going to bet on the like weaker athlete? I'm going to bet on the stronger athlete, Peter. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and, and that, maybe that doesn't hold true in like, we were talking like a tour de France, like, you know, just going up the mountain, but even still you would wonder in that case, would that athlete be resilient, you know, by working just through some range of motion? I think my favorite thing is interviewing Swain Tuft and talking to him about this. And right. he talks about, he's like, yeah, you know, could I have gotten, you know, a couple percent faster on the bike? Like, yes, but I would have sacrificed all of my health and resilience to do that. And he said, you know, like he knows so many world tour guys who couldn't like would get winded walking up the stairs to their hotel room mm -hmm. because like they couldn't do like stairs. Right. Stairs were too much or like couldn't like lift their suitcases onto the bed. Right. Or like would be, you know, like weak like have a hard time with it yeah or bike bags through airports or whatever yeah, yeah. And he's just never been willing to compromise his like overall health for the sake of getting a percent or two faster um so i that's why i find interviewing him just so much fun yeah i think i I'll, I'll link to molly's yoga and i have my anywhere core thing and then i have one article or two articles as well for like uh map my ride that had sort of a routine that was like for cyclists that hate strength training or something to this effect um, uh, you know, it's worth starting with something. You can call it core yoga, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I do think for most people it, it's worth, right. We all have those niggles and stuff, right. It could be mobility, right? Like that's why I include yoga almost in this. Like it's really what you're going to do. Uh, and then just try and make it harder. Right. So for you, it might be, if you're a yoga person, you might, you know, again, what is it? Chaturanga. You're in a lower, which is a push up essentially, you know, you're going to lower into your chaturangas more times or slower. You're going to do chair pose and hold it a little longer. You're going to do, you know, more reps of your sun salutations with warrior one. That's a lunge, right? There's, is there other ones that I'm missing that are good? Like boat pose for your core, right? 
Man, pretty much every yoga pose, if you hold it long enough or deep enough, it's sure. going to be... Or move a little more steady, right? You're more sun salutation, so you've moved through range, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, cool. We In-season strength. We did a slow... I always do a slow race when I do the plank into chaturanga when I teach yoga, so we did that this weekend, and man, I got my butt kicked by a couple eight-year-old gymnasts. Well, there's some power to weight, I think, there. That is true. Uh, Anyway, all right. Last question. Um, With intervals, is it better to have the last one be the best or better to have it be the worst? That's yeah. one, that that was almost one of the same as the first question. Like well, if the train is going at maybe, I mean, it's also like very philosophical, I think. Right. Mm, yes. So to explain that one a little bit better for anyone who heard me read that and it's just like, I don't understand what you just said. Um, basically just, uh, when you're doing an interval set of say five, two minute intervals, is it better to have the last set of two minutes be your strongest or to be the weakest? Right. And we could say, you know, at a, a race, is it better to be fast on like the, the first lap hero and then fade and barely finish? Oh, I see. That one gets way too tactical, though. Maybe. But this is sort of the trend. And, and what you'll often see is you have your sort of fast twitch, for lack of a better term, your people who are just like your sprinters and they can just crush like they can make themselves. And I do not have this ability, but they can make themselves like basically pass out and fall over at the top of the first hill. If you say go, they will win and they will just die trying, right? And they will fall over in the ditch. Like I could never make myself do that. Um, But I tend to be the opposite where like I can pace them pretty evenly and then go a little faster on the last one, right? So I often at a race, I find the start really hard, but I can like usually hold my pace pretty well. And then often I could even like, negative split maybe pull a little bit out at the finish right and and so it is in a race it's a little tactical mountain biking i've had to get a lot better as it's gotten shorter and you know a little bit more tactical that like if you're not there on the start there's no pacing back right you're gonna have traffic and you're behind right right so you have to think about the goal a little bit but i think if you think about which of those bins are you are you the fast twitch sprinter person or are you the like zone two like endurance person so whether it's your races or your intervals will tell that story, right? Do you always sort of level intervals or are you the person that like fades and often doesn't finish? Then I think that sort of informs which one you should try. Cause I think you want to be able to do it, right? If I go out and say, Hey, I want you to just go ballistic on the first one and then hold on for dear life. You should be able to do a decent job of that. Again, my own self-preservation and lack of, we'll call it fast twitch. I'm not going to have the near the peak, but I should be able to like push myself if I'm motivated. Right. Conversely, the, the fast switch person is going to have to really have discipline. You might even have to put a limit on yourself for maybe heart rate or power or whatever you have, um, to make that first one like too easy and then see the, to the finish, right? Let them get to the finish, uh, and even pace that. Um, so I think it's worth just doing the thing you can't do and then you can play with that. Um, oh, so basically the answer is like, which, whichever one sounds easier, don't do that. Well, one. the one you've done, there's no point in like, keep doing that, like hone that. But I think you, you want to learn that. Right. And I think with a lot of intervals, especially harder intervals, there's a good argument to do it fast first and then even have a bit of fade, um, especially as you get to be more experienced. Um, like again, I think it's worth pacing and having level intervals, but I think it, it there is a, a a gain to be had by going out a little hard 
and, and having like a tolerable fade and just looking, you might even add a couple repetitions. So this is again, motivated, maybe getting into that intermediate advanced athlete might have, say it's like a five by four classic, like sort of five by three, five by four type hill interval. If you're not fading by the last one, you might actually add a rep or two to actually fade. And then the next time you have your, your time up the hill or your wattage, you might really challenge yourself. All I can think about is Kurt Cobain's like, it's better to burn out than fade away and how that does not apply in this situation. The opposite. It's better to fade Kurt away Cobain than was burn a out. Very slow twitch person. Is that what you're saying? I think I'm not really sure. I don't know. Did he say that? I yeah. think you're misattributing that, but I am not. Yeah. I mean, I think both are good. I think it depends on your goal, but um, I think as you get into that more advanced category, it, it's good to at least do some workouts that are, are hard like that and fade. And, and there's a mental piece to that. We'll uh, link to my latest article about the things we say to ourselves. But I think because it is okay to fade a bit, you'll see lots of races where the winner has faded a bit on that last lap and they're just holding on. Um, yeah. Like just listen to how many times the announcer is like, Oh my gosh, they're gonna catch him or they've almost caught her. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, you got to have pretty steady, but like what we're trying to find is that more, is there more in the, in the bank there that you're not really drawing on. Right. So I think on these harder intervals, when you're doing intervals sort of threshold and above, it is worth trying it and just sort of seeing how it goes and looking for that little bit of fade, right? Like give it an honest effort, but see in your, like in your intervals, are you fading sort of maybe by 5%, right? Like a good hard one. And then, five percent and figuring out what that like limit is mm-hmm. right and i think it's for a lot of us if you if you keep good numbers it, it's just look at your last interval set add 10 or you know maybe add 10 percent five percent to whatever your first one was and then see what happens and fight and and just be kind to yourself and keep fighting right because it's okay even if it's five or ten percent lower just keep fighting it's fine Right. And I think that experience for a lot of us is quite valuable because mm-hmm. I like it's uh, so often in races, I feel like I'm just like not even moving mm-hmm. and then it's really not that bad. It's just, that's what it feels. Right. Like. Right. Cool. All right. Well, before we, before we wrap up, I think I actually just kind of wanted to throw in this public service announcement, so to speak, and just say something I've been thinking about lately is, uh, it's okay to not feel like racing. I think that's that's where I'm kind of coming down these days is like I kind of struggled with this this past month trying to figure out what what to sign up for next or what to do or people were asking like what my next race was going to be and I I didn't really know and I mean I have some stuff on the calendar but I realized like I don't really feel like racing right now or like racing just for the sake of having a race on the schedule so just putting it out to anyone who's feeling a little bit of that mid-season you know, ennui or just kind of like meh on the idea. Like it's, it's fine to take that mid season break and it's fine to, you know, not do a race this weekend. And yeah, if you're in that boat, it's cool. You'll probably come out of it and be totally fine. Let yourself feel those feelings. Okay. Sorry. Was that important for you to get? This is my Ted talk. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I feel like you've been kind of feeling that lately too. Yeah. I mean, I have races on the calendar, but like I say, Rebecca Rush is 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, lots of clients definitely it's, you know, there's always that fitness, right? You can go out and on these intervals and just, you know, that can be your goal for a while. Right. And then you can, once you get, you know, see progress and you're feeling fitter, you can always sort of use that how you want. Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. We will wrap up there. Um, as always, we would be super grateful if you'd head over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast that makes our lives you know, super good because it helps us boost up in the rankings and get more people listening to this show. And yeah, it's always great to hear from you. So keep the questions coming over at consummateathlete.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram at at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. <laughs>